How much difference can one person make? Pastor Xavier Reese says, a lot. Listen, by one vote, Oliver Cromwell won control of England. By one vote, King Charles was beheaded. By one vote, France changed from a monarchy to a republic. Don't ever underestimate the value of your involvement in the things of God as His instrument. Every person fits in the body specifically. 1 Peter 4.10 speaks about the one specific gift that you have that's to be ministering to someone else. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. How do you define success? Is it a good job, nice car, a big house? Today, as he continues his study series in the book of Philippians, Pastor Xavier explores the definition for success as told by the Apostle Paul. Now, that's biblical success. Let's join him for today's Simple Truths and a study titled, Christ, Our Life. Paul has clearly communicated to the Philippians that he was on his next duty station for Christ. And for that reason, he would continue to rejoice, concluding that for him to live was Christ and to die was to gain when he came to verse 21 of chapter 1. That was the conclusion, the bottom line. This is the key verse to chapter 1, by the way, Christ our life. For Paul, life and death are not opposites in Christ, but different stages of the believer in Christ. Alive, Christ lives through Paul. Dead, Christ's likeness is brought about in Paul. That is the meaning of gain. So he really sees them as two different stages of an ongoing life. By the way, when you get eternal life, you get it here, not there. It's ongoing. Now, Paul has already clearly stated that he is confident that he will be released, and he does throughout the letter. So, Paul is not in some kind of mystical cloud of uncertainty. He knows what's going to happen. Paul's discussion is not about whether he is going to live, but rather that he is not going to live in the flesh for the flesh. Now, many people focus on the wrong thing in this text. He has decided that he's not going to live in the flesh for the flesh. That's his bottom line. Now, in principle, to die to self daily is far better than to live for self because Christ lives through us so that others can live in spite of us. <laughs> if you've lived in Christ any length of time and if you were in the world any length of time, you know that when you were the center of your life, everybody else had no room. And if you were the focus of living, everybody was busy dying. It's just the way it is. Paul's motive, by the way, is love for Christ. That is the only power to enable any person to die on a daily basis, denying self. Anybody who's in love and has a passion for another person is so concerned with pleasing them and doing things for them that they really don't focus on themselves. And that's the admirable trait. The other person says, man, you know, and they say, well, get this for you. No, I don't need it. Because all they see is that person. When you and I always see as Jesus, then we will be in tune with him. 
It's when I get in the way that Christ becomes blurred. Now, all of us can identify with that in life here. It's just that simple. That's why often people laugh at marriage because you start like a puppy with your tongue hanging on your tail wagon, and then marriages end up with dog between his leg and he's running. And so the world has a bad connotation for marriage. But if you treat your wife the way Christ treats you, your tail will still be wagging. <laughs> because you're not the focus. It's very important. Paul, therefore, in view of this, goes on to tell the Philippians what to live in Christ means to him. And this we get in verses 22 to 26. Let me read for you the text here. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what I shall choose I cannot tell. For I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith. That your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Christ Jesus by my coming to you again. Paul says to live as Christ means three things to him. He says, to me, and we know that he speaks under inspiration, these are good principles for us. Number one, to live in Christ means to be an instrument of God. Real simple, to be an instrument of God, verse 22. Secondly, it means to be in a spiritual dilemma, verse 23. And then thirdly, it means to be interested in people, verses 24 through 26. Now, let's begin with the first. To live in Christ means to be an instrument of God, verse 22. To live is Christ means to be an instrument of God. Notice first, Paul identifies the vehicle God uses. It's not brain surgery here, guys. What is it? The physical body. As long as you're here in this world, God's going to use your body. You use your body to do everything you want, to express everything you want, to experience everything you want. So God uses your body. The statement is in contrast to death in the preceding verse and by the word but. He's been talking about death, now he speaks about life. And the word but is, is a contrasting conjunction. Notice also the word flesh, sarks. It can mean several things in the scripture. Sin nature, natural ability, or the physical body. The statement to live on, and don't miss that. To live on in Christ. There's the phrase. In our context of this verse, it refers to the physical body through which Paul was being used by God in this life. The live on simply means to continue life lived out for Christ. And what's the context? He's talking about his release. So he's going to live on. He's going to continue to walk this life in Christ. But he says to live on in the flesh. Now this simply means in the physical body which Christ would be magnified through, be it by life or by death. He's already told us that in verse 20. He's going to go before Nero. Look at verse 20. According to my earnest expectation, by the way, that means your next stretched out, you're looking forward with anticipation. He was looking forward to go before Nero and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed 
but with all boldness as always. Listen, here we go. So now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. Is he, is he confused, not knowing whether he's going to live or die? No. He is saying that it doesn't make any difference because it's the same life. It's just a continuation on a different level. Whatever happens, happens. But he knows what's going to happen. He's not going to die, but it doesn't make any difference to him. He's expressing attitude here, perspective. As long as we are alive in our physical bodies, God desires to use each and every one of us. Romans 12, 1 and 2, the bottom line, after all the conclusion of Paul says, as he says that in Romans 1, that man is depraved, he's rejected the, the power of the gospel. Chapter 2, the good moral person is depraved. And then all of a sudden, chapter 3, he says Jew and Gentile are all dead. And he moves on through the whole thing of Romans. He comes to chapter 12, he says, I beg you by the mercies of God that you present your body a living sacrifice holy and accept unto him, which is your reasonable service. And don't be fashioned to this world system, but be transformed, metamorphosed by the renewing of your mind to prove what is the good, acceptable, and the perfect will of God. He uses your body and mind. There's nothing else he can use. Now, notice secondly, Paul indicates what the result will be if he lives on in the flesh. What is it? Fruit for his labor. Real simple. Paul saw himself as a branch joined to divine Jesus. When you and I think of fruit, we mostly think of something that comes from either a tree, a bush, or a vine, such as oranges, lemons, grapes. I've got a lemon tree in the back, and it hasn't given lemons very much, but this year, this thing is just blossoming. It just keeps giving them what I'm wrong. It's great. And I've never looked out my window, and the tree was going, <clears throat> trying to, it just hangs there, and it does it real natural. When we think of the process, we understand that the fruit is the product of the tree and not of itself or the reverse. When we think of the source of the tree, we equally understand that the nourishment comes from the soil, the water, and the sun, which are the original source of the fruit in combination with the tree. Paul is saying that he was a mere channel of Jesus. The source is Christ who lives through Paul. The apostle is the tree, the instrument, the product of Christ himself. The fruit that comes through Paul as the instrument of God is fruit of the spirit of Jesus Christ. And through Paul, he's already mentioned his spirit and the supply of it in verse 19 of chapter 1. Those who come to Christ through his preaching ministry of the gospel were a result of God. Paul was very aware that at the time that he was in prison, he was planting. Someone might water. At other times, he knew he was just watering what somebody had planted. But he always knew that it was God who gave the increase, 1 Corinthians 3, 7. Always. So he didn't focus whether he was the planter or the one who watered. He was only interested in being obedient to the duty at hand. Those who are instructed and who were instructed through his ministry for nourishment, development, and growth, pressing towards maturity, it was all through the product of God through Paul again. 
Now, don't ever mistaken growth, development, and maturity. Growth means that you're continually pressing forward. You know, you bring your child home, and the baby is a baby and begins to grow. After a month, you, you expect them to weigh a little more, be a little longer. But then, don't mistake in that growth with development. You want his arms to be growing in proportion. If one of his arms is an inch longer than the other, you're concerned. Or if there's growth to an extent but not enough development and proportion, you're concerned. And then thirdly, you want to make sure that as the growth and development are happening in proportion and in time, that the maturity is also there. Because if not, then you're concerned with the mental ability. All three must be present. And Paul was an instrument to bring that about through the Spirit of God. Jesus expressed the principle in, in the vine. In John 15, I am the vine, you're the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. He is the very source. We are branches, instruments of God. Remember that Paul expressed his desire to have some fruit among the Romans when he wrote to them in Romans 1.13. He said, listen, I've been intending to go there for a long time. My desire has always been there, but I've been hindered through the ministry and I've been preaching. But you know what? This whole area is covered. I have no other place to preach. And by the way, my eye is towards Rome. Prepare a place for me. <laughs> now, some think that the apostle also means reward for Christ at the beam of seat of Christ by the word fruit here. Now, in chapter 4, verse 17, the apostle does use the word fruit in this way for the Philippians regarding their love gift to Paul, which Jesus would reward them in that day. He says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds in your account. I don't know if you ever thought about this, but everything you will ever do, everything you will ever give, I hope you're not expecting reward here on earth and by man. And I don't know if you've ever considered that it's fruit to your account. It's a deposit. Everything you do and how you do it and why you do it is a deposit or a debit. <laughs> now, I don't know about you, but I love deposits. Okay? I don't like debits. But God in that day, he will add it up. And remember, Jesus is a Jew. He keeps good books. So he does use the word fruit in that sense in chapter 4, verse 17, but I think it's, it's, it's a far stretch here in the context. The context he's speaking about is being used as an instrument. Now, notice also that Paul joins fruit with labor. Don't miss that. When fruit is evident, the understanding is that there has been labor to produce that fruit. You go to the store, you grab some watermelon, you grab some cherries or whatever it is. You don't think that they, they just grew there, you know? I mean, somebody works, somebody packaged them, plucked them, brought them there, inspected them. There's labor behind it. The word labor means business, employment, that which anyone is occupied in, be it at hand, art, industry, or mine. The idea of working is emphasized in opposition to that which is less than work. Sometimes Christians have the mentality that being a Christian means you do nothing. As a matter of fact, sometimes people becoming Christians because they don't grow and develop and mature do less in Christ than they did in the world. 
and they become slugs for Jesus. That should never be. Paul, in the fervency that he served man and God through religion, became as fervent in Christ and more so. The work of service which one performs or ought to perform implies cost of time and commitment. If you're going to serve Christ, it's going to cost you. Please understand that. It's either going to cost you for good or bad. It'll cost you. You put energy into your marriage, it costs you for good. You don't put energy into your marriage, it costs you for evil. You put energy into your work, it costs you for good. You just get by, it costs you in a bad way. It's just very simple. The word is used consistently for the good works of God through the believer. Matthew 5, 16, Ephesians 2, 10. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. And throughout the New Testament, the same word is used. So part of uh, the fruit is, includes the labor, right? Notice thirdly here in verse 22. Paul indicates without any hesitation that the decision is God's, not his. Yet what I shall choose, I cannot tell. The phrase cannot tell means to make known or declare. The apostle is saying some very important things regarding living for Christ and being used by him. First, Paul is saying that he could not declare or determine that day. That's good. No one can determine that day. Now, there was a group of people here with the positive confession thing and a very specific movement that declared that they could determine the day of their death. Well, you can if you jump off a building. But, um, but be careful because they say the power of uh, life and death is in the mouth. That's right, so think before you speak. Very important. The scriptures tell us that precious in the sight of the Lord are the death of the saints, Psalm 116, 15. When God takes a person home who's a Christian, that's precious in God. He doesn't afflict just to cause pain. But secondly, Paul is saying that it is for God to decide when life ends. It was not for him to declare or even to reveal it. To the rich fool, God said, you fool, this night your soul will be required of you, Luke 12, 20. You and I will die right on time. You will not be late to your own funeral. So quit worrying about it. Serve the Lord. The Calgary Herald carried the following headlines which attracted attention. Fishermen just watched as youngster drowns. Nine-year-old Jimmy Wilkinson was playing with a pail when he fell into Lake Ontario. All people could do was stand around, said Diane Reed, age 15. They could have saved him. At the time, about 20 men were fishing for smelt. They had nets and everything else, said Diane. A man had a pole and he poked around for a while. Then he went back to his fishing. Harbor police, who recovered the body six minutes after they arrived, said someone should have made the effort to help the boy. But no one did. They just stood around and looked. Such is the case of some Christians 
who refuse to be used of God as their instrument as people are perishing eternally. I mean, we're abhorred as such an action upon such a, an occasion. Who would do that? Almost like the parable that Nathan said, this man and David said, ah, oh, man will surely die. You are the man, David. Then it hits us between the eyes. Don't ever underestimate the value of your involvement in the things of God as his instrument. Every person fits in the body specifically. Romans 12, 1 through 8 gives you the gift and the grace. 1 Corinthians 12 speaks about the gifts again with the grace. 1 Peter 4, 10 speaks about the one specific gift that you have that's to be ministering to someone else. You have at least one gift. Listen, by one vote, Oliver Cromwell won control of England. By one vote, King Charles was beheaded. By one vote, France changed from a monarchy to a republic. By one vote, the Continental Congress during the American Revolution declared English to be the official language from, for America instead of German. By one vote, Hitler became Germany's leader. One, one, one. You think God's made a mistake with you? No. He's made you one of the many members. In Christ. Come to grips with the reality that being an instrument of God will cost you commitment and time resulting in fruit. For which of you intending to build a tower, Jesus said, does not sit down first and count the cost whether he has enough to finish it, Luke 14, 28. See, too often it's like people who get married. Oh, yes, oh, yes, yeah, I know it's going to be hard, but we'll make it, you know. And then once the honeymoon's over and once the conquest is gone, well, I we wane. No, no, no. You count the commitment. You count the cost. You count the time. You will be a contributor rather than a critic of the church. You will see God work rather than to hear that God is working. You will be more Christ-centered rather than self-centered. You will have no regret at the end of your life rather than merely coming to the end of your life. John the Baptist said, I must decrease, and he, Jesus, must increase, John 3.30. That's a good principle. I have to think and commit myself to that daily, minute by minute, because the most natural thing for your pastor to do is to live for himself. That's my flesh. Listen to Paul, 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. There are many things that we do in life that are in vain. We get into our little ditties, you know, we build models, we do this, we do that, and we spend countless of hours, hundreds and thousands, and then the next phase come and we get those things and we throw them out in the trash. In vain. Now, am I saying you're not to have hobby? I'm not saying that. I'm saying, let's make comparisons. What you do in Christ is not in vain. To live as Christ means to be an instrument of God, first of all. Real simple. Pastor Xavier Reese and the importance of making a difference for the kingdom, a difference that can have impact on the lives of others for all eternity. As usual, you can hear this message again online simply by browsing for today's date when you click on the radio listings link at calvarychapelpasadena.com. 
And there's still more to come next time as well. But if your schedule won't permit you to tune in, you can always pick up a copy of this message. And the title to ask for is Christ Our Life. It's available on CD for only $4. And then minister to someone else you know by passing it on to a friend from church or Bible study when you're through. Once again, the title to ask for is Christ Our Life, or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths. 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. What's the secret to having long-term passion for ministry? That's our discussion on the next edition of Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese. Don't miss it. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California, www.calvarychapelpasadena.com.